Good morning. I am not Adam Young. But on the theme that Roselle talked about, I do have more hair than Adam has, right? So I may not be as good looking or as funny, but you know, at least you get something with me, right? Now, Adam and Elena are taking a well-deserved vacation into the Caribbean this week, and so they are having a great time. They asked me to come up and speak. We are actually kind of in a unique spot here, because last week we finished up a sermon series that Adam titled Natural Rhythms, where he looked at the natural rhythms of our culture and how those intersect, you know, this change of the year, the new year, January, all that stuff. How does that intersect with church? And how does that intersect with our faith? And it was just an awesome series. And then next week, we're going to jump into or jump back into our series on John. And we're going to go to the, uh, the last portion of John as we lead into Easter. And it's going to be awesome. So we kind of have a standalone sermon this week that I've titled Side by Side. And we're going to be looking at a subject that I'm just super jazzed about um, and very excited about. And we've got a lot to cover, so we're going to jump right in here. Um, one of the reasons I'm just so pumped about this sermon series is the fact that it goes so against our culture. In fact, if you go to the next slide, the main point of this, series, or this, uh, this sermon is that you were made for community. You were made for community. Just like a fish was made to operate in water, if you take a fish out of water, you got problems. It's the same with people and relationships. You were made to operate in community. You were made to be in community. But the problem is our culture gives us no help on this front. Right? Our culture does everything in a lot of ways to push us away from it. In fact, if you had to summarize American Dream, or if I had to summarize American Dream, I'd kind of summarize it like this right now. It's autonomy. The idea of American Dream today surrounds this word, autonomy. We want to do what we want, when we want, and we don't want to worry about what others think about it. I want to do what I want. I don't want to you know, be limited. I don't want to be bounded. I want to be who I want, do what I want, and have no constraints on that. And I, I want to do it on my own timeline. I don't want to be waiting for someone or be limited by, you know, some other external constraints. I want to do what I want when I want. You know, it's kind of that, it's my money, I want it now, right? And then I don't want to have to worry about what others think about it. I don't want you judging me or looking down on me. I don't want to have to worry about, hey, am I stepping on someone to get to the next level? I want to do what I want when I want, and I don't want to have to worry about what others think about it. I mean, we've even come up with new phrases. You guys have heard this, you, you do you? Anybody? You do you, right? I'm going to do me. I'm going to do me. You do you. Do what you want. And as long as you doing you doesn't affect me doing me, hey, we're good, right? Now, if we come into class there, we got some problems. But you do you. It's the same reason why we love riches. Because we understand that if we have money, if you have wealth, you can do far more than you can do if you don't have money. I mean, how many of you want Bill Gates' money? Yeah? Me too, right? And if someone asks you, what would you do if you had Bill Gates' money? I mean, I'd do what I want, right? Quit my job, I'd sleep till nine, you know, buy a Ferrari, I don't know. I, you know what I'd tell you I would do? Buy the New England Patriots, I would trade Tom Brady to the Detroit Lions, and I would fire Bill Belichick so we don't ever have to see him in a Super Bowl again. <laughs> amen, right? We can get an amen for that. I would do what I want, because I had the money to do it. Trade him to the Bears. Uh, we'll see on that. But yeah, we would, we, it just opens up doors that you don't have if you don't have money. And I don't want to make American freedom and the ideas that we have about individualism and everything sound awful, because it's not terrible. It started with a good thing. The problem is this has kind of morphed over time from what it was at the beginning. And I'm an American history major, so I like to nerd out on this kind of stuff, especially the early America. But I've taken it, and I've kind of summed it up a little bit for, you know, so you guys don't have to have a historical quote or anything. This is what it was at the beginning. I'm going to do me while also recognizing that I'm accountable to God and I'm responsible to my neighbor. I'm going to do me like we're going to go for freedom. We're all about freedom. We're all about liberty. 
but I'm still accountable to God and still accountable to his laws. I can't do whatever I want, right? I can't just run amok. I've got responsibility to my neighbor as well. I can't just stomp on them to get where I want to go. I've got to look after my neighbor. In fact, in a lot of ways, I've given freedom so that I can look after my neighbor and, and live freely under God's construct. The problem is, is it's changed to this today. If you go to the next one, I'm going to do me no matter what. <laughs> right? I don't have bounds. I don't, I don't care about, you know, what God's called me to do. I don't care about responsibilities to my neighbor. I'm going to get mine. I'm going to get mine, right? And when I was thinking about, hey, what's the poster boy for this? Like, who, who could I, you know, think of that would really put handles on this? This is who I came up with. Who's that? Tony Stark. I mean, billionaire playboy, right? This kid's a boy genius. By the age of 17, he had graduated MIT, summa cum laude. He's had it all. He grows up in a very wealthy family, fame. He's good looking. He's got all the witty lines. Beautiful girls, beautiful cars. And he's beholden to no one, right? In the films, they call him in to testify at Congress, and he's just completely dismissive of them. You know, making fun of them, doing jokes. He's got all the right lines. All the, he's got it all. And then, you know, he becomes a superhero that saves the world, and we're just like, oh, the rich just get richer. You know, like, come on. You've got to be kidding me. The problem is, the problem with this construct of the American dream, right, something we would look at and go, I wish I had that life, is that we know it doesn't work out. It does not lead to our thriving. It does not lead to our flourishing. In fact, in the movies, they even portray this, right? Early in the movies, uh, he is miserable. He's got it all. He has everything that we could dream of, and he's miserable. And it's because you're made for community. You're made for relationships. And you would, I could argue, his best friend in the movies early on is an artificial intelligence named Jarvis, right? And without that, we know it doesn't lead to your goodness. We know this doesn't work out. And, it, and this is not even like a uniquely Christian insight, right? We're not even like religious people aren't the only ones that understand this. In fact, if you're not Christian or maybe you're here and you're seeking or someone offered you lunch afterwards, we're just thrilled you're here. We love people that come with questions and doubts and want to struggle through them and want to find truth. We are always open for people to come in here and not turn off their minds when they come in the door. Please come chat with us. But you don't have to be Christian to understand this concept. You, you don't have to be. I mean, all of us can think of musicians, actors, athletes who are millionaires, billionaires, have a life that we would dream of, and yet they're miserable, and yet they're depressed, and yet they're medicating to try and escape reality, right? Because it's all based off relationships. You're not made for autonomy. You're not made for wealth and just individualistic, nobody else involved. You're made for relationships, it's the same reason why, if you think about a deathbed scenario, right? A deathbed scenario, you find out, hey, I might die in a day or a week or maybe two weeks. You're not thinking of, oh, you know what? I just want to drive my truck one last time. You know, ladies, you're not saying, hey, roll me into my closet. I just want to be with my shoes and my clothes one last time, right? It's people. In fact, there was a whole movie based on this concept, where a billionaire and a blue-collar worker are both in the same hospital room. They find out they're both going to die of cancer. One comes up with a bucket list of, you know, all the things he wants to do before he kicks the bucket. And they decide they're going to go do all of this before they die. They go to Taj Mahal. They go on an African safari. They race cars in a, you know, a NASCAR track. All of this stuff. And then at the end of the movie, they realize that was empty. Sure, it was fun. Sure, we had a good time. But what I care about is my family. I mean, the billionaire is in a, in a penthouse suite at the end, in a hot tub with all these escorts around him, 
And he just breaks out crying because he realizes who he wants to be with is his estranged daughter who he hasn't seen. We recognize this doesn't work out for us. We recognize that autonomy does not lead to our thriving, which is why I'm just so jazzed about this uh, passage that we're going to look at today and this, this topic, because I think, you know, a lot of people think the Bible's irrelevant, it's old, it's outdated. But no, 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 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, there was a truth spoken that speaks directly into our culture today. So we're going to be getting into 1 Corinthians. If you guys can open your Bibles, uh, turn to 1 Corinthians 12. Um, we're going to have the verses on the screen as well. Uh, you also, if you have a YouVersion Bible app, you can open it up, go to events, search for Element Church, and all the verses will be in there. Um, but for a little background on this, 1 Corinthians, before we get into it, um, Jesus came along. He was a man. He lived. He preached. He um, did a bunch of miracles, gets this big following. All the crowds are around him. Hey, we're going to start the revolution. We're taking over. And then in one day, he's arrested. Uh, charged on blasphemy, and then crucified and killed. And that whole movement, everything that was going, game over. No more. Everything's done. No believers, no church, nothing. And then three days later, the tomb goes empty. And all of a sudden, the people that cowered and ran when he was crucified are showing up in the streets and going, you know what? I don't care what you do to me. I saw a man dead. I've seen a man alive. God is doing something on this earth. And the Jews, of course, were furious because they felt like, hey, this is pulling people away from Judaism. We've got to squash this. And they said, you can do whatever you want to me. I don't care. I know what I've seen, and I've seen a man alive who was once dead. God is doing something. Now, in the midst of that, there was one particular Jew who was very fervent about getting after these guys. Who was that? Saul. That's right. A man named Saul. Like, you think you hate people, right? You think you have that group in maybe society or maybe somewhere in the world where you're like, man, I just, they, my blood just boils when I see them. This dude went around hunting down and killing them, right? You may hate somebody, but I'm hoping none of you are at that level yet, right? And he hated Christians so much that he would hunt and kill them. In fact, he saw the, uh, the first martyr, Stephen. He oversaw the stoning of Stephen. And then he has a mandate in hand to go to Damascus to hunt and kill Christians in Damascus. And on the road to Damascus, he meets the risen Jesus. And we're not talking about like a spirit and a ghost. And Nick, can you turn me down a little bit? I can get a little feedback. But he meets, like, the risen body Jesus out there. And in a matter of days, he goes from a Christian hunter to the biggest church planter the, ch or the church has ever seen all throughout history. And as a total aside, like, this is a total separate thing from the sermon, but this is just one of the reasons why I find Christianity to be true, right? What does it take to have one man go from a Christian killer to a Christian church planter? In fact, the greatest church planter we've ever seen in a matter of days, what would it take to convince you in, like that and go from one person who was so angry and so furious with people you'd hunt them down and kill them to then three days later you're ready to go out and preach the gospel? And people will say hallucinations and they say and it, it doesn't work, right? Everything we know about psychology and the study of hallucinations says, no, you never hallucinate about things that go against your worldview. You hallucinate about things that you're already preconditioned to see. Nothing preconditioned Paul to see that. In fact, it was the exact opposite Right? Same with the, the, Jesus' brother, Luke. Right? What would it take to convince you that your brother was the son of God? Yeah, good luck with that one, right? So anyways, so Paul starts planting churches. He starts rolling around the Mediterranean. He goes to the city. He plants a church. He leaves, starts another one somewhere else. And this whole time he's writing back and forth with these churches and sending them letters to you know, help them understand how, or who God is and how to operate within the church. And so that's what we have with 1 Corinthians. It's a letter to the church in Corinth. 
Um, and it's the first one that we have, and they would gather them, kind of piece them together, and eventually we get the New Testament. So we're going to start in verse 27, which is actually kind of a summary verse for this section. And we're going to roll back up to verse 4 later on. But this is the summary verse of the point that he's kind of making in this section. And he's talking about that. He says, hey, now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. You are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Now, if you're new, to, or if you've been in church for a while, you've heard this phrase before, right? The church is the body of Christ. Hey, the believers are the body of Christ. If you're new to church, this is kind of a goofy statement. And maybe you're thinking, you know, I'm not the body of Christ. I mean, maybe it's decomposing 2,000 years ago, or maybe he really did rise and go to heaven. But either way, I'm not the body of Christ. And Paul says, whoa, 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 just, just go with me here. What I'm saying is you, and he's talking to the church at Corinth, right? Use you all, and the church at large, you are the physical manifestation of Jesus on earth today. You are the hands and feet of Jesus. Jesus is gone. He's left. You now are the physical manifestation of Christ on earth today. This is why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about, hey, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And he's saying, hey, pretty soon I'm going to be gone. I'm going to be out of here. We've got this big thing going here, but I'm going to be gone. And it will be you who will be the physical manifestation, the body, the hands, the feet here on earth carrying out my will. Which means, if you want to see what God is doing on the earth today, if you want to be a part of what God is doing, if you want to witness it, you got to get with his people. Right? you got to be plugged into his people. That's where God's moving. So if you want to be a part of it, you got to get plugged in. And then he says, and each one of you is a part of it. I love that. Right? You are not a consumer. You're not a user. You're not here for a good talk on Sunday morning so you can, you know, kind of rejuvenate and then go out. No, you have a role to play in this enterprise. You have an important role to play. Like, you are not just an outsider looking in. No, each one of you is a member of this body, and you have a role to play within this community. You are the body of Christ, and each of you is a member of it. So now we're going to jump back to verse 4. And this is where Paul kind of kicks off this whole section. He starts talking in broad strokes about, hey, this is how we're all built for this. He says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit that distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. Now I just love that last line. What does he say is the reason for all of these services and gifts and workings that the spirit doles out? What is the reason for it? For the common good. I mean, the exact opposite of what we think of in the American dream. We think that, we're, hey, we've given all these talents, we're given all these skills, we're given all this wealth, whatever it is, so that it can benefit me. I can use it to glorify myself, to make myself better, to get my life better, maybe my family's life better, but really, it's, a, it's here, right? And Paul says, no, 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 you've got it all wrong. God gave you all of these gifts, all of these services, all these works, not so that you can be glorified or you can be lifted up, but so you can help others. We're supposed to bring all that we have, our talents, our skills, our experiences, your history, everything you have to bear and to leverage for the good of others. Not for yourself. And the other thing we find with this is that we're dependent. That means I'm dependent. That means I need you to help me with certain things, and, I, and you need me to help you with certain things. We were made dependent. And if you're like me at this point, you're like, why would you do that, God? Why couldn't we all be Tony Stark? Right? Why, I mean, he could have. He could have made all of us awesome right from the start. We wouldn't need anybody. We could be autonomous totally on our own. Anybody play sports video games? 
Okay, we're in church. Don't lie, right? I know some of you are. Right? And you could create your own player, and you jack up all their skills, all their speed, their strength. They could jump out of the gym. They could do everything great. And then you go dominate everybody else with them. Why wouldn't God do that for us? And I don't know. Anytime you ask a question of why God, you know, unless he tells us, we don't know, right? But I think Paul alludes to something here that might help us understand or maybe get after it a little bit. If you go to next, he highlights three different words to talk about God. What, what attribute of God is he, is he talking about here with spirit, Lord, and God? Father, Son, and Spirit. The Trinity. That's exactly it. And the Trinity is not a word we find in Scripture. It's a word we use to describe a feature of God that we see in Scripture. And that feature is that God is three persons in one essence. Not three persons in one person. That's contradictory. But at the very core of who God is, the very nature, his essence, if we had to look and say, what is God? How can we look, what, you know, how do we define or talk about or characterize God? At the very core of who he is, we'd have to say he's three. And here's the crazy thing about that. Each of those pieces, Father, Son, and Spirit, have a role to play. They have a set function within that. Not only are they perfectly equal, they are all God, but they actually have their own function to play in it, which means that for all eternity, God has been perfect in unity, perfect in harmony, and in perfect relationship. Perfect relationship. A lot of people think, hey, God created man because he's kind of hanging out for all eternity. He gets bored. You know, he's twiddling his thumbs. Maybe he's playing with that paddle ball thing. And he's just like, hey, this is just not fulfilling. Let's create somebody so I can hang out with him, you know. Not at all. Not at all with the Christian God. Maybe with the, the God of Islam or something. But the God, Christian God existed in perfect harmony and perfect relationship for all of eternity. He didn't need any external relationship. He has it internally within himself. But I think this, you know, gets after why we might be made dependent. Because God said, let us make man in our own image. And I think a part of that, God said, hey, I want you to experience relationship. I want you to experience the joys that I get from relationship. Now, we screwed it up in the garden, and it's kind of been a mess since. But we were made for perfect relationship. And by creating dependency and creating roles, God says, hey, I'm setting this up for relationship. Right? Now, Paul's going to jump into some specific gifts. So he's talked about works and serving, and, and there's gifts. Now we're going to go keep going. Uh, to the next one, uh, next verse, and he's talking about specific gifts. And oftentimes we focus on what are these gifts and what are your gifts. And I know there's a lot of messages out there by that. We're not going to talk about that today. We're going to look at it kind of holistically. But he says, To one there is given through the Spirit a gift of wisdom, to another the gift of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, and to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between the Spirits, and to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretations of songs. Let me go to the next one. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each just as he determines. And Paul's saying, hey, God has given all of us unique gifts. God has given you a unique role to play. But I love that last part, right? He says, hey, make no mistake about it. This is God giving it. And he did it exactly how he wanted. He didn't make a mistake. He didn't screw up. He gave you the exact gifts that he wanted to give you. Which means you are uniquely gifted to serve people in a way that nobody else is. You have a unique role to play in that. And the other thing I love about this, right? What is the proper response if someone gives you a gift? Thank you, right? Gratitude. Thank you. You know what it is not? Look how awesome I am. If someone gave you a gift, or you gave them a gift, and they said, yeah, look how sweet I am. Totally deserve that. You're like, no. 
excuse me. But think about it. God has given all of us gifts. You didn't come up with them. You were born with them. But think how often we puff ourselves up and we look at our gifts and we go, man, look how awesome I am, you know? And on the flip side, look how we treat others that have a gift maybe that we wanted and we don't have. Or maybe they, they're a little better at something that we wish we were better at. We get jealous, right? We get mad at them. We get angry at them. We start shunning them in some ways or doing these weird things, right? God says, no, 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 no. If you've got a problem with the gifts, they didn't come up with that. I'm the one that came up with that. If you've got a problem with the gifts that you were given, go to the giver and have that conversation with him. And I know he wants that conversation with you. He wants, a heart, he wants your heart with him. He wants that relationship. He's more than happy for you to bring any problems you have to him. Now, Paul is going to continue on here, and he's going to give one of the most beautiful word pictures in all of Scripture. He's saying, hey, we've kind of been talking about how you're uniquely gifted, you're uniquely set up so that you're made for community, and now let's look at this word picture uh, to explain kind of what I'm getting at as a holistic. And it's a little long, so just stick with me here, but we'll get through it. We'll go to the next one, Nick. Keep going, keep going. Uh, wait, did you go past one? Should be verse 12, 21. Is that it? Oh, thank you. I don't. Thank you. Just as a body. See, you've got to know your own slides, right, if you're going to do this. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all of it, uh, many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. So just as you have a body, you have all these things that go in, and it's one body. Same with the body of Christ, which is the church. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free. None of that matters anymore. Those distinctions are worthless. What you identify as, as the body now. And we are all given one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. You go next. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, therefore I am not part of the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, you know what, I'm not an eye, I don't belong here, get me out of here, it would not be for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as they wanted to be. And if they were all one part, what would the body be? As it is, there are many parts in one body. And what he's saying in here, hey, look at a body. You have all these different organs, all these different things playing a specific role, playing a certain part in there to make the whole body thrive. Right? This hand is so useful to me when it's attached to my body. And I can do so much more because I have hands on my, you know, at the end of these stubs that I couldn't do if I didn't have hands without. In fact, if I don't have a hand, I'm crippled. I'm severely limited. I'm severely handicapped of what I can do. And what is a hand if it's not attached to the body? It's gross. That's what it is. It's gross. And it's kind of useless. I mean, I could come up with functions for it. Maybe I can give myself high fives, or maybe I can use it as a paperweight or throw it at somebody for self-defense. But it's not doing the function that it was made to be, right? And it's worth so much more if it's attached to my body than is if it's separate. And Paul says, don't you get it? That's you. You separated from the body of Christ. You are a dead organ. And you might serve some function. You might be able to do some things, but you are not serving the role that you were made to be. And on the flip side, the flip side, the community is missing something without you. If you are not fully engaged, if you are not playing your part, it is handicapped. In fact, we could say it this way. You are better off in community, and the community is better off with you in it. If the community doesn't have you, it is missing a vital piece. And if you are not plugged into community, you are not fulfilling and living the full function that you could be living. 
And this is why we here at Element are just huge about getting you plugged into circles, not rows, like Adam mentioned last week. Right? It's great to have rows here on Sunday morning, but we want you to get into a community. That's why we have uh, small groups. That's why we set up these things, not just to have extra functions and everything to go on, but it's because we recognize that this is a reality, that you are made for community, you are made for relationship, and so we try to facilitate that. In fact, that leads us to what you've got to do with the sermon today. First, you've got to recognize that some of these ideas that are bandied about in culture are empty. They do not lead to your, your thriving, your flourishing. In fact, in a lot of ways, they lead to misery and, and things that are not fulfilling for you. But the second thing you got to do, the second thing is you've got to be intentional, intentional about plugging into community and finding community. And I don't know what that looks like for everybody, right? Some of you, it may be, hey, Wednesday nights, we have a small group, six to eight, at Trevor and Christie's house, which is just right around the corner from here. And maybe it's you making time to get there so you can get plugged into a small group. In fact, we're also looking at starting another small group with Susie. And if you're interested in this, please come talk to us afterwards. But we recognize that some people, when you have little kids in your family, right, there's certain challenges that come with small groups, like, like sleep, bedtimes, right? Or, hey, what do you do with them when you're all talking and kids are running around, you know, breaking stuff or whatever they're doing. So if you're interested in that, please get with us because we're trying to set up this, this week potentially hammering down a, a date and a time and how we're going to do that and, and just tailor it uniquely to families in that situation. Or maybe for you, though, it's to go and find a friend and just go deeper with that friend. Like you set up a regular meeting where you are getting into the Word and talking to each other and just having that community. I don't know what it is for you, but you need to find a community that you can both pour into, bring everything that you have to bear to that relationship and that community, and that they can pour into you. Because you are made for community. But I'll tell you what, if you actually take me up on this and you start doing this, you're going you're gonna to realize the reason why you avoided community from the start, <laughs> right? Because uh, it's hard. And uh, the hard part about being with people is you actually have to be with people, you know? And people are messy. And, you know, there's those people where they just don't stop talking. And you're like, seriously, I've given you every cue to end this conversation. Like, I'm trying to walk away and you're still going. And then there's those people where, you know, you're trying to get a conversation going and they're like one word answers and just staring blankly at you. And you're like, hello, McFly. Like, is anybody in there? And some people you wish would take a piece of gum because their mouth, you know, the breath is a little rough. And other people, they have gum in their mouth and they just smack it in a way that you can't even listen to what they're saying. That's a big thing for my family, for whatever reason, and my brothers, they just get really, like, angst out about that. And then if we even get past the superficial piece, right, get past those kind of little annoyances that will eat at us right away, we find out that people are hot messes. I mean, they got major insecurities. I mean, they have marital problems. They have parenting problems. They have financial problems. They have pornography problems. They have addiction problems. I mean, they're just problems on problems on problems. Right? And there's no easy fix. There's no easy answer. There's going to be a lot of awkward, tough conversations of, hey, you know, I, I know this is weird. I know this is awkward, but we just we have to talk about this because I care about you. And there's no easy way out of that. And there's tension. And then some of you may be, you know what, I, I get it, Cameron, but I've got my own problems. I mean, how am I supposed to have time and energy to bring to these guys' problems? I've got my own marital issues. I've got my own financial problems. I've got my own addiction problems. I barely have time and energy for me. How would I have time and energy for them? And I think, I think our Heavenly Father just looks at us and goes, no, 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 no. Our Heavenly Father who loves us, who made us. And he says, no, no, no. What you couldn't handle on your own and what you couldn't handle on your own and what I can't handle on my own because we were created to handle it on our own. You together 
can carry that. You together can get healing. You together can get wholeness. Because I made you for community. You're not made to be operating on a lone ranger, you know, wolf pack of one. That's not the Christian life. You are made for community. You are made for relationships. We need to be intentional about getting into relationship. You are better off with community, and the community is better off with you in it. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are just so grateful for this morning, a chance to meet and uh, get into your word and just see these truths that you have had 2,000 years ago that speak directly to our culture today. God, and we are so grateful for community. We're so grateful for the relationships you bring into our lives and the joy that comes with that. And God, we pray that you would help us as we navigate that, that you would help us to find intentional community that we can regularly pour into and that can pour into us. I pray that you would give us grace for those people that drive us nuts or those you know, things that drive us nuts, and you would help us to just push through that to be able to go deeper and be the hands and feet that you called us to be. And I pray that you would just continue, continue to build those relationships, develop them, and bring richness through our life and help us to be the hands and feet for you as we go out into this world.